All right, so first off, we got to give a quick plug. Uh, we've got a, uh, a powerlifting meet coming up this weekend, March 16th. It's going to be up in Warren. We, it's called the, the Blue Devil Invitational. We've got teams from Mundelein, uh, McHenry, Waukegan, Warren, obviously. Anyone else coming up there, Alex? Those are the big four, and they're all great teams. It's the second meet of the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association schedule for the year. Should be a lot of fun. The guys up there, Jim and Brandon and the whole crew, they do an amazing job. So uh, keep an eye out for that. In the near future, we have a collegiate powerlifting meet coming up at St. Olaf College. It is the second annual Midwest Collegiate Powerlifting Meet. We've got schools from all over coming. That is April 13 up in Northfield, Minnesota. That crew does an amazing job. We're super happy to be with them. Lots of cool things still going on around the Chicago area. We are still doing tutoring down on the south side of Chicago with some wonderful people and getting some very cool results, establishing great relationships. It's just a fun thing to be uh, involved with. Recently, we did a workshop at Oak Park River Forest with a lacrosse team. We've been kind of all over the, the local region. We've also are kind of traveling the country. We're at the American College of Sports Medicine Northwest Chapter Conference recently. That was in Bend, Oregon, where we met a ton of fantastic people. Uh, more recently, we're down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee at Middle Tennessee State University, meeting with Steve Estes and another host of really incredible people. It's just been a fun time to be doing the work of the Good Athlete Project. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. I met today's guest at the Nakahee National Conference down in Savannah, Georgia. That's the National Association for Kinesiology and Higher Education. Her name is Beth Herzman, and she's fantastic. She's currently an associate professor at Wright State University, assistant department chair, uh, and program director for the health and physical education and adapted physical education programs. She is well-published, well-considered, well and kind of an expert on adapted PE. She also volunteers in local disability sport activities, such as Special Olympics, wheelchair rugby, uh, and runs races with team heart and soul, pushing people in wheelchairs. She's outstanding in that regard. A little bit more about her. She played college soccer for three years at Indiana Wesleyan University, and, won, and for two of those three years, she won National Christian College Athletic Association, NCCAA, uh, national championships. Pretty unbelievable. She completed her uh, undergraduate work and went on to a master's degree at West Virginia University, finished in physical education and teacher education, and then earned her PhD from the Ohio State University in adapted PE. She also got a second master's degree from Wright State University in educational teaching that she completed in 2016. After college, she played soccer recreationally and then took up the challenge of running in competition. She then took on the additional challenge of bodybuilding, specifically in the bikini division of the National Physique Committee competitions and travel across the country. You'll hear from me soon. She's, she was nationally ranked. I mean, she's worked very hard for the results she got. Pretty amazing. More than anything, though, Beth is just a fantastic person. Like I said, we met down in Savannah. She was kind, welcoming, inclusive to professors, master students, and anyone who was at the conference. Also super knowledgeable. So she herself was a great athlete, an elite academic and college professor, but continually bring other people into the fold. She's got a lot of great advice to share. Enjoy today's podcast. My whole career, I've, I've played soccer since I was about nine years old. Um, so I kind of started out there and I played soccer through high school and into college. Um, 
and then I stopped for a while, but uh, I still play. So I'm like 41 almost, and I still play soccer. So nice. it's recreational, but um, you know we get competitive. Um, but once I turned 30 years old, it was kind of one of those things that like your body starts to slow down, and so you know I, I figured out that I needed to do something else aside from just playing soccer. Uh, so I started running. And um, I started running like half marathons, nothing, you know, I've never done a full yet. Yeah. But I would do like about six or seven half marathons a year. Oh, wow. Um, I was running some in California. Those were probably the best ones I've ever done. They were super cool. Um, but then, I don't know, I would say I turned 34 and I realized that running wasn't enough. Like, mm. you know, again, my body needed something else. So um, I ended up doing bodybuilding. And so I did that for about four years. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I did it from uh, 2012 to 2015. Mm -hmm. So um, that, was, that was definitely a completely different thing than anything I ever thought that would be possible for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always been athletic. I enjoyed working out and exercising, but that was like a whole different level. Um, I did the bikini side of it, so I wasn't like – really, you know, bulky and things like that, you know, mm -hmm. lean and curvy is what they look for. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that. I did really well, actually. The best I ever did was second at nationals. Uh, uh, yeah, that's pretty well. Yeah. That's so had I, had I gotten first, I actually would have gotten my pro card. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I competed. That was my very first national competition, actually. Um, and I did that well. But it was interesting because um, so – that was 2013. Then 2000, I tried to do about two competitions a year, mm -hmm. um, just because it it's really intense and it you know the closer I got to competition, the fewer carbs I was eating right. and you know I was very tired and things like that. Um, so I tried to compete only in the summertime because mm. okay. I was, <laughs> and um, I ended up my. My second to last year, I got last place in every competition that I did. Oh, jeez. Um, so imagine, you know, going from being in second place or, you know, doing really well yeah. to then, you know, coming in last place. And a lot of it was um, my my trainer had overtrained me. Hmm. And so I was ready to compete about two weeks ahead of schedule. My body was like, you know, at the peak. And then after that, I just started burning through muscle. And so mm -hmm. I looked almost anorexic on stage. I was 110 pounds. Um, how much, and how yeah, tall are you approximately? Like a healthy weight, I think, would, would be about 130 for me. Yeah. How, how tall are you? I'm um, 5'5". Five, five. Yeah. Yeah, 110 so, is, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was really bad. Um, and, you know, obviously that was really disappointing to me because um, sure. I knew I could do better. Uh, so I got a new trainer, and he actually um, lives in Washington D.C. So he trained me remotely, hmm. um, and then I, my last year competing, I did a local competition, and then I did a national one. I got first place in the local, nice. and I got fourth place at nationals. And then wow. after that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm good. You did <laughs> so, it, yeah, yeah. I like that. But so you went through kind of the full swing of of yeah. a career, though, even in even if it was only about four years. Um, yeah. There is there's a lot within that that I'd like to touch on. Sure. Um, one of them is uh, 
Well, let me go back to the most human one, and that is, uh, how does your husband feel about all this? Because, and let me, I'll speak from experience. <laughs> Whenever I've uh, tried to make a weight class for a, a sport or anything like that, and I, I'm limiting carbs and training hard and all that kind of stuff, there's no question my my the way that I interact with the world changes, yeah. not necessarily yeah. positively. Right. I basically just turned into a zombie, hmm. so I was not me. Uh, I don't think I was mean and nasty. No. Um, I I think by nature I'm not necessarily that way. Right. So that kind of went in my favor. Um, but I basically, you know, was like a slug. I just had no energy. And, you know, imagine that was how I was for the summer. So anytime he wanted to go out and do anything, you know, yeah. I can't, I can't eat. I can't drink alcohol. I can like, you know, I could order a plain steak and plain asparagus and that was right. it. So. Right. You know, he basically had to tailor what he was doing to my scheduling. And so, that you know, that was tough. Um, yeah. But fortunately, he's extremely supportive. Um, and so, you know, on stage, he he wasn't like the jealous type or anything like that. And he, would, mm-hmm. I could always hear him yelling at me and, you know, yeah. all that stuff. Like in a good way, obviously, he's, you sure. know, cheering for me, I guess is a better way to say it. Sure. So. I mean, he was fine. I think he just kind of was like, okay, are we going to keep doing this or like, yeah, that's hard. good. That's a hard, yeah. uh, but he, um, he trains too though, right? Not maybe not to the same level of course, but yeah. So I actually met him playing soccer um, nice. and we still play soccer together. So I think that's, that's fun. Um, he does jujitsu, hmm. uh, like the Brazilian jujitsu. So sure, he does sure. that. And then he also does like weight training and stuff like that. So very cool. yeah, cool. he's active as well. Would um I'm gonna I'm gonna make an assumption here and ask if you agree like the is the nutrition part of of those cuts and the prep is that how hard is that we've we've heard many times that that for a lot of people I know it would be for me that might be the hardest part of the whole thing. It is. I think once I got into it, I was fine. But it's mm-hmm. just, I mean, and you know, like sugar is extremely addictive. Um, I had to like instead of drinking my coffee with creamer, I had to you know change that up because I can't drink just plain black coffee. So I had to switch to like plain tea or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, making those changes is really difficult initially. But I think once for me, I kind of got it in my head like, all right, this is it. I need to be good now. Then I was fine. I think I don't think everybody's like that. Right. Um, a lot of people will slip up. They will, um, you know, have a cheat cheat meal, which you know, then they'll eat everything. Right. Um, a lot of trainers will build that into your plan to where, like, on the weekend, for example, you can have a cheat meal. Um, so people will be like, okay, well, I'm going to eat a pizza. I'm going to have a burger. Right. I'm going to, you know, go get drunk, whatever. But um, I just I didn't do that because I. You know, again, because I was older, I, it was a lot harder for me to burn anything off that I like did to myself like that. So, mm-hmm. well, I uh, I was good. Yeah, I, no, I believe that completely, and I and I think there's um there's a maturity in that. Like, I don't, I don't know the the the, the identification um, of a very explicit goal, the outlining mm-hmm. of a, a fairly specific process. Like if if once you adjust habits to jump into that and like the the goals on the horizon the pro the tracks are sort of laid for you it's 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 kind of fun to go down them once you really get into it and uh, for this is from my own personal uh, experience I guess it sounds like you're the same way 
like the roller coaster of that sort of experience, if that's the way you want to do it, like really clean eating, then pizza burgers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that, that isn't quite as appealing to me as I think maybe it might've been when I was like in college or something like that, but, um, I'm not sure I like it. And then, and maybe it's the projection of like what the ramifications of even like one or two nights of that sort of nutrition look like. Right. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. After my competition, I would, you know, in, in, in one week I'd gain 10 pounds and not necessarily because I'm eating unhealthy. It's because I'm putting water back into my body, you know, all of that. I mean, yes, I would eat pancakes and whatever, you know, the things that I really wanted to. Um, I I have a funny story. I actually, um, for NACI, I went to their leadership development workshop. My first, it was in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was one week before I was supposed to go to nationals to compete. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to fly down with all my food like pre-packed and oh, I, and so you know I'm sitting there in the conference and I'm pulling my food out of my little like you know food container suitcase thing or whatever and I'm eating like salmon and you know we go out to dinner and I'm like oh, I brought my food you know mm-hmm. all this stuff so I mean it it takes a lot of discipline it really does mm-hmm. um, but you know I did it so yeah. Well, I, I think the best part of it, honestly, is that I can tell my students because I teach a fitness class mm-hmm. um, at Wright State, and so I can tell them because I have a lot of them who also compete. Um, nice. Just you know the stories of the things that I've experienced and you know how that world is because a lot of them will either be trainers of people who want to compete yep. or they do compete. So I think you know I'm at least able to. Um, be an example, I guess, you know, or I've experienced it. So I know what it's like. So at least there's some validity to what I say. Yeah, there's no doubt. That's, uh, I, I love that you just said that that's kind of where we want to be. Like the good athlete project as an organization wants to have, uh, an, an incredible balance always between what's happening in the academies and what the research looks like and what's happening on the front and what's actually usable and, and can be applied. Uh, part of what we do in the build of that is we ask all of our, uh, everyone who's on staff or even volunteering wherever possible um, to participate in something. You've got to compete in something over the course of the year, especially on the strength side, like the strength and conditioning arm of everything that we do. Um, in fact, we just got back. We, we There's a powerlifting meet this past weekend. One of yeah, our, I think um, I saw you see it that stuff? Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it was a black, it was so much fun. Um, and one of our, um, one of our guys, coach Pekmez uh, lifted in it. He did bench press, mm-hmm. He did the bench only division, but okay. it was amazing. And it's so cool to hear him talk about it. He's done it before. He's just a naturally strong guy. Um, he's competed before he can, he's whenever he benches in the gym, people are like watching. He's that kind of guy, but his mm-hmm. approach to this most recent one was probably the most thoughtful approach he's ever made. Um, he knows it. he recognized it. And, and, and he, uh, we, we coach a powerlifting team. And he said this time when he was walking up to like approaching the bench this time around, he was envisioning like uh, what he would be able to say to the kids down the road. And it's it's pretty much exactly what you're talking yeah. about. He's like, yeah, I, I know the a little bit of the science of, of how and why I trained for this in this in these ways. Uh, I know the psychology of what it takes to literally approach a bench in front of a crowd of people cheering for you. Uh, and I know what it feels like halfway through the movement, halfway through the lift, when you've got to kind of push through the back end. And that's not in a textbook, mm-hmm. right? So so having that uh, like very intimate understanding uh, absolutely enhances one as an educator, or at least we think. Yep, I agree. 
definitely. It's very cool. Well, what did your what did your training look like through this process? So the nutrition uh, was hard. It was it was steak and <laughs> asparagus and water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, not even that. Like the closer you get to competing, it's just like white fish, like tilapia really? and green beans or asparagus. Oh, yeah. I and to this day, like I still struggle eating fish because of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like it's like working at a restaurant, you know, when you work there for so long, you don't want to eat their food. Mm -hmm. Similar. (laughs) I believe it. Yeah. But, um, training wise, I mean, I exercise every day. There wasn't a day that I took off. Um, I, you know, again, like doing the, the bikini side of it, you are supposed to be curvy, but lean. Right. So I didn't have to build a whole lot of muscle. It was just burning a lot of fat. Right. So I would do about an hour of cardio every day, mm-hmm. um, and that would range from, like, I was kind of, I don't know, I was an anomaly because I was also running the half marathons at that time. Wow. So I did yeah. both, um, and I played soccer, um, so I actually did three things, but um, I wouldn't count that as my cardio unless I was actually out running, um, and then I would count that as cardio, but um, typically it would be the stair climber. Mm-hmm. And then with my last trainer, he actually told me that I could just do the elliptical machine or walk on the treadmill. I didn't actually have to run mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, do the stair climber. So that was nice. Um, yeah. But that was about, depending on the trainer, it was about 45 minutes to an hour every single day. Yeah. And yeah. then um, when I trained with the, the people here in Columbus, um, I would exercise, like lift weights for about two hours a day. Wow. Um, yeah. And I would do that about six days a week. Wow. And then, yeah. And then when I trained with the, um, the guy that was in Washington DC, that was, he just basically sent me my workout and then I would go to the gym on my own and do that. So mm-hmm. I would say that was less time just because nobody was talking to me. I was at a gym that there weren't a whole lot of people there. Yeah. Um, so, and I didn't have a trainer talking to me either. It was just me kind of doing my thing. So that would be like an hour, hour and a half, five to six days a week. Sure. So and is it like uh, there's a core program and then uh, is it like pumping iron with Arnold where you see, where you kind of where you self check pretty regularly and say like uh, whatever posterior delt needs to change in some way or what's that kind of analysis look like? Um, okay, so with what I did, a lot of it was um, putting my competition suit on and seeing how I looked in it. Yeah. Um, and so like it was easier obviously when my trainer was here because he would just have me put my suit on, put my shoes on, and walk and you know, see what needed extra development. With my trainer that was in DC, I would basically have to FaceTime him on my phone and my husband would hold the phone Hmm. and I would just stand there and he would like analyze me. It's really hard um, to just hear people say like, you know, oh, you need to burn this fat. And I mean, obviously, you know, being a female, whatever, we struggle with that type of a thing. So after I stopped competing, um, it really messed my head up, honestly. It was very, very hard to get back to being comfortable weighing, you know, 20 to 25 pounds more than what I did when I was weight. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very difficult on your, your mental, I don't know, stability, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, so that was difficult for me. I really struggled, I would say for like two years, but, um, back to your question. Yeah. I mean, so basically I would just have my competition suit on and they would kind of look at, my back, I mean, back, it, the back isn't necessarily the most important thing. It, it is typically your like hamstrings and your glutes for what I was doing. So that was where I had to put a lot of focus. Fair enough. 
Um, I don't want to leave that point you made though, because I think it's a really interesting one. Um, the psychology of sport is like 99% of what we look at. Like the, the performance and the outcomes is like, we think that's important um, for sure. But the psychology is usually what lends itself to high, high caliber performances, high caliber relationships and, and positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a sort of inherent, it's funny, you know the name Robert Sapolsky? No, I haven't heard of him. He's a uh, researcher out at uh, Stanford. Brilliant. He wrote the book Behave. Totally worth looking into. But uh, I was just listening to a a podcast of him this morning. I'm going to pass by that for a second. Uh, The only thing that we need to know from that is that the podcast was about uh, the thin line between obsessive compulsion and and uh other sorts of behavior like where is the threshold of of health and it's it's pretty clear to me that in athletics you're constantly toying with that line right yeah. of, of, of of like obsessive compulsion of, of trying to get the the minutiae right the, these details um and in a sport like yours we were just talking to um an olympic hopeful runner pete callahan he's an absolutely fantastic guy um, you know, but another sport uh, like yours, where where the intricacies of of like body weight and nutrition, like these are very specific things. And five pounds is just in in the grand scheme of things for like a healthy living individual. Five pound fluctuation is is nothing in your mm-hmm. sport and his sport and ones like it. It's it's make or break. Yeah. Yeah. So that I could imagine that transition would be a, a tough one. What do you think? kind of helped you on that process what helped you kind of move from like it's a sport of hopefully positive critique right but certainly a sport of critique and analysis into just appreciating health and wellness and 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 all of that stuff Hmm. i'm trying to think of how i got over it (laughs) um Hmm. You know, my husband, again, he's like super supportive of me. So I would say, you know, I mean, he was always, oh, you look amazing. You're beautiful. You know, this and that, which, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, he's supposed to tell me that. Right. You lied. (laughs) Don't. No, I'm like, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. But um, honestly, I think just time is what helped me get, get past it and just, you know, I mean, it, it it's it's hard. Like, I don't think I really had anyone that helped me, um, like, counseled me or anything like that. I think that yeah. would be something that probably would have been really helpful, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think just time is yeah. what did it for me. That makes sense. Well, time and support is is probably a solid combination for a lot of things. And then I, I wonder if the timeline would have been smaller um, with additional like professional counseling or support and stuff like that. And I'm, and I'm glad you bring it up because one, one thing that, and you may know this already, but one thing that we really like to do is open up that conversation, um, mental health uh, concerns, and I'm not putting you in any specific category, you know, but uh, the, the post-career, at least mild depressions that people go through are, I mean, I don't, I don't know of an athlete who has not gone through that. And, and it's, it's really just a recognition of, of um, first of all, understanding that it's okay to acknowledge that and talk about it, but like there's always this window of time post-career and the, and the more you care and the harder you try, the, the more severe you know, and sincere this has the potential to be, but there's always this, this window of time where if nothing else, 
you come to this recognition that my life is never going to be the same. Yeah. And it, and it is subtle and, and maybe for, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe your life is gonna be better and you're going to feel healthier and you're going to, you know, um, be able to go enjoy the summers with your husband and, or whatever the case may be like, but mm-hmm. better is, I mean, that's great. It's just not always immediately understandable. Um, and you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, the, whenever a professional athlete, um, dies by suicide, you know, in, in, right. in their national headlines, that is yep. something that we need to look at. It's a multivariant. There's so many components to that, to what makes that ultimately come to pass. But one very real recognition is that incredible life switch. And for anyone else uh, who might be out there listening, uh, we're, ha- we're going to have a, um, a guest on the podcast and, and maybe I shouldn't even get into it if it, I don't want to speak for anyone, but I will say this. This person did not have uh, – they didn't finish second nationally um, in bodybuilding or they didn't play 10 years in the NFL or the NBA. Uh, they just really tried hard at their sport in sophomore year of college. They stopped playing and they mm-hmm. too went into this um, – it just this period of their life where they needed to kind of come back and recognize um, what was valuable about themselves outside of their sport. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really important is for people to just remember who they are um, because it's easy to get caught up in, you know, looking good or being famous or, you know, doing well at something, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that definitely puts you on a high and then like going from that down to like normal, which is not a bad thing, um, can be really tough for people for sure. That's totally right. And, uh, as a college professor, you are certainly not normal. Um, <laughs> Is that good or bad? <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think we need to redefine normal, um, yeah. perhaps. But uh, one one thing that seems like an easy transition here, though, um, like you are a college professor. Tell us a little bit about that. It just so happens that you are in the health and wellness field. Um, how do you? First of all, I, I want to hear a little bit about what you do, what you teach, and all that stuff. And do okay. you ever embed in that uh, some of the strategies that you've used yourself, either on the training side, it sounds like you have, or on that um, psychological support base side? Yeah. So um, my main area is actually disability sport mm-hmm. um, and adapted physical education. So I do I teach people how to work with people that have disabilities in like sports, basically. Yeah. Um, so. That's my my main area, and then um, I also teach in our physical education program, and um, so I teach the kids, the students, sorry, kid, not kids, um, the students who want to be teachers out, you know, in um, high schools, elementary schools, whatever. Uh, but then I also teach that fitness class mm-hmm. that our sports science majors take, as well as our physical education majors. So I get a lot of students that want to do occupational or physical therapy. Um, some of them and end up being personal trainers or working like I have a student now she's working down in Tampa I think for the NFL combine the, hmm. like what's going on down there sure um, she's doing her internship there so um, you know she's doing the nutrition side of stuff for the the athletes there um, so you know I have a lot of students that are going to be working in the fitness field um, so, you know, it's funny, like when I read my student evaluations, a lot of times they say, well, she gives way too many personal experiences and this and that. And like other people are like, I love, you know, hearing her personal experiences. So I don't know. I mean, maybe I just talk too much. I'm not sure. But 
I mean, to me, I think it makes it more real rather than me just like spitting information at them about, you know, the body or nutrition or whatever. I mean, at Mm -hmm. least I can say, hey, you know what, when you do nutrition, you know, this is the type of thing that works. And so it's important to know, you know, how much somebody should eat and what they should eat because, you know, if somebody's malnourished or, you know, exercising too much, then that's going to affect the way that their, their body works. And so... You know, a lot of, I think a lot of personal trainers don't necessarily know the science behind all of that. And I mean, I don't know the science behind it. I just know what happened to me, right? Right. So that's all I can do is share my experiences with them. But I mean, I definitely do. And and I do talk to them about the psychology of it and how that, you know, messes with your head and, um, you know, how it also messes with your body. And so, you know, being a female, when my, when when a female's body composition gets to a certain level, um, you know, their, their hormones stop, um, producing, you know, whatever. And so like your body just starts, I don't know, my, my body just started freaking out. And, um, so it was hard to get it back on track after that. It was really difficult. And so, you know, I, I, I very candid with my students. I will tell them that if they, you know, I mean, if we get into that type of conversation, I'll tell them. Um, so I think that's where some people might be like, uh, that's a little too much information. Mm-hmm. And there's a, that's really cool that she's sharing that with us. So mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Can't please everybody. <laughs> no, no, you certainly can't please any, everybody. That's, that's a silly idea to want to do. I think you are an educator. You're trying to educate people. And I think that I don't think there's such thing as too much information. If you are a college professor, yeah. you know I mean, it's like, that's look, true. it's like, if you don't want to use this information, young person, uh, you don't have to, but this yeah, is part yeah. of the experience. It's it's uh, an intimate level of understanding that I have, um, and it's worth sharing for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's one of those things. This is so we've come to understand that essentially that um, cynics are going to be cynical, and there's not much you can do about that. You know? Yeah. And and in and even in those cases, however, this is kind of cool that I'm. Uh, we're advancing in um, in the profession and in our careers, and we're now able to see people who we've had an impact on come into the professional realm, mm-hmm. um, and even the people who were potentially cynics at first, or uh, or faux cynical, putting which is really just putting up a, a psychological barrier between themselves and information which might make them uncomfortable. How right. those people, even even those people who it didn't seem like it was taking at first, still a seed was planted. Uh, and, and they kind of have a tool at their disposal down the line if they choose to use it like that. Right, so, right. Yeah. You've got to give it to them. And I, I also got to say this. I love that you did – you like cross-trained through the uh, physique stuff, like playing soccer and, and running. I think that's um, – I think it's a very cool way to stay healthy and competitive. I I mean, I just liked it. And my my last trainer told me that I couldn't run and – do the bodybuilding and so I stopped yeah um, and I still played soccer I just didn't play like maybe the, the week or two before I competed just because um once you start like they call it like drying out yeah uh, where you're not you know drinking a whole lot of water and and starting to get dehydrated basically I found that I got like I don't know it just I felt stupid <laughs> like my brain didn't work Mm-hmm. I ran into things. I tripped easy, so I just didn't want to get it yeah. worth it. Yeah. So I I would stop and just do things that you know didn't require a whole lot of coordination. <laughs> that makes sense. That's okay. Um, well, but but teaching requires a lot of coordination. 
Yeah, um, my so, students laughed at me because I would like say things that didn't make sense, and I would run into the table, and actually, they're like, "Why don't you just sit down?" And I'm like, "That's okay." <laughs> that's uh, it's funny that you say this because I certainly don't want to poke holes in in anyone's process, but the bodybuilding world is so unique. We um, yeah, I, we we talked about this I think a little bit down in Savannah, but uh, eat, move, sleep. We have these bedrock concepts of human performance, and that and these things play out in ways that we don't always recognize we don't always pay attention to like how does how does your nutrition uh impact not only your physiological state but your psychological state um and the way that you interact with the world moving and sleeping and it sounds like this is a pretty clear demonstration i wonder if there's research to be done on this and i'm not saying that jokingly um if you are essentially i assume the sleep was probably still on but the nutrition was very specific and you could maybe argue lacking in certain areas um, no, no and, carbs for right, sure. And, and the training was super it was still intense. The same. Yeah. Nothing changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and your, and your cognitive performance was adjusted. It sounds like <laughs> yeah. in your own work, in your own <laughs> decreased words, significantly. It decreased yes. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And so did my like mood and emotions too. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Like, remember I told you I was like a zombie. Yeah. Um, I was like just, on autopilot, basically. Yeah. That's how I survived. It's really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm sure, again, it sounds like your husband is super supportive and I'm sure you loved him every step of the way and we're so grateful. But we're, one thing that we're looking at um, is the way that physiological state not only changes your own mood, but um, how you interpret mood in others, which mm-hmm. is kind of an interesting realm that I'm not sure has been looked at fully. There is There are definitely some researchers out there looking at it, but... Um, it's a, it's kind of a funny thing. It's like we work with adolescents and and college kids a lot. If you're going through, if you're walking across campus or you're walking through the lunchroom or whatever it may be, uh, if you are in a healthy state, say you had a nutrition's on point, you're mobile, you're active, um, and you slept well, that's a big one for us always. Um, you might see a smile as a smile and engage positively with that person. If you are malnourished, sedentary, and you got three hours of sleep the night before, that same smile might be uh, suspicious. It might be like, "What is he? Is he this person laughing at me?" It's it's incredible how how it, it changes you. Not only what you're putting out, but the way that you intake um, right. mood and reception. Really yep, yep, I totally agree. I like it. What does exercise? Because you obviously stay healthy and fit, and you practice what you preach. What does it look like now compared to back then? Um, well, I, I kind of on and off go to a trainer, but, um, right now just work is so busy for me. Um, cause I'm trying to go up for promotion hopefully here, like in the next year. So I have to get a certain number of publications, right? Nice. All that fun stuff. So, good luck. um, thanks. Yeah. So I'm like trying to do that. Um, so I'm right now I play soccer on Mondays and Fridays. Um, Monday is the women's league and then Friday is co-ed. So I'm on three teams on Friday. So I basically have three games in a row. Um, all, all inside, of course, since we're experiencing a lot of snow and cold. Um, so I'll do that twice a week. And then I do orange theory fitness. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've heard that, but I do that. Um, I would say ideally I would do it four times a week, but realistically probably three. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I want to get back into running. I just, with the cold, I don't like to be outside in it. It's too cold. So um, I signed myself up for a um, challenge for the Air Force Marathon. It's in Dayton where I work. Oh, wow. uh, they have a 5K, 10K half marathon challenge where if you do all three races, you get a, a medal, like a fourth medal, right? Wow. In the same day? 
Yeah, well, yeah. So the 5K is Friday night, and then the 10 and half are Saturday. Oh, wow. So basically you finish one and start the second, like, right away. So you do the 10K first. You stop, get water, food, whatever, and then you, like, start right into the half. So I did that last year without training for it. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, and I probably – I made it – like, a half marathon I could do without training, and I'm really? fine. Yeah, like, I'm – just because I've done so many, I kind of know what it takes to, sure. to do it. And so I, I may be slow, but I can run the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I did the the half, uh, the 5K, I was fine. The 10K, I was fine. The half marathon, I probably ran about half of it. And then, like, my foot started hurting. And I was like, you know what? It's not worth it. So I just – I walked, like, most of it. This year, I want to – like, my goal is to at least run the whole thing. So It's pretty amazing. Uh so would you say, I think, well, I'm all, I'm, I'm watching you talk about this and you, you're like excited about it. And I think it's this fun, it, it really does tap it. You have such an athlete's mindset cause it's, uh, it is almost, it, it's, it's fun to challenge yourself obviously, mm-hmm. but I, and, and it's empowering also. Like right. that's a, that's a cool thing to be able to say. And I, and every once in a while I got to step back and like recognize the kind of people that we get to talk to. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I could just jump into a half marathon and like complete it. No, like th- that is something that one percent of humanity gets to say, right? It's like, crazy. yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. But it only comes. Uh, we talk about how to how really best to empower people, and I think it comes in two ways: it's preparation and exposure. And it's like right. you've, you've done the preparation before; you stay fit and healthy and active, uh, mm-hmm. and you've seen it before. So the obstacle doesn't seem like quite as tall as it would for some people. Like I don't think I could do it right now because I've never done it before or trained for well, it. Well, yeah, because you don't know. I mean, you know, pacing is, is really important. And something that's actually funny that I just thought about, um, when I was in college, like when I would go to preseason conditioning for soccer, yeah, um, I had never run in my life. I had never lifted weights. Like that wasn't really a thing that girls did back then. Right. Um, like lifting weights anyway. Mm. Um, and I didn't have that access anyway to a weight room. So, um, you know, I would pretty much go into preseason conditioning out of shape. Um, so our coach would have us on day one, you know, as soon as we get up, we would have to run the Cooper, the Cooper run, the 12 minute run or whatever. Yep. I think we had to get a mile and a half in 12 minutes. Um, and I couldn't do it. Like, I don't think any of the three years on preseason conditioning day one, I couldn't do it. I'm actually in better shape now than I was when I was 18 years old. Wow. So it's cool. I mean, and, and maybe it is about understanding, you know, how to pace yourself and, like what a mile and a half is because then I didn't know I had never run before. Mm-hmm. So it's different. That That's no, you're exactly right. That's um, and, and that's where the experience part comes in. It sounds like when you jumped into preseason out of shape, you didn't have either experience or exposure or preparation or exposure. So that's not mm-hmm. necessarily uh, the best way to do it, but you found, right. but you figured it out over time by engaging yeah. in it. You recognize like pacing is a really important thing. Uh, pacing doesn't mean not pushing. It just means recognizing that like, like this is my output over time. If I want to accomplish this very specific goal, right. uh, you won't be first to finish the first lap perhaps, but you're going to get right. through 13 miles or whatever it might be. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, I know I'm never going to win a race. I'm like, I don't care. It's more about finishing it for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and setting goals for myself. So this race, I'm like really excited about it because my goal is to not have to walk. You know, I want to be able yep. to run. And then I'm thinking about potentially doing a full marathon after that, but I don't know. It's terrifying. We'll I, I, don't do it. 
Um, I take it back. If, if you... do the, the Las Vegas Rock and Roll Marathon, it's in November. So I don't know. I mean, I think the, the Air Force one is in September. So yeah. really, I would be like that. So what? That's a 10K is nine miles, 13. So it's like 19 miles. You're right there. Yeah. In one day. So I'm close enough. Like, as long as I could keep that like level, I guess I can do that. I would do like the. The Columbus half is here in October, but it's so cold. Yeah. I don't know that I could run in like 40 degree weather for 26 miles. I think I would die. So I'd rather do like Las Vegas or something, which is cool. It's, it just sounds nicer. Yeah. Just like a more enjoyable experience as it is. And I think um, transferring like uh, intense athletic processes into the real world, I think part of it is that do, like do the things that you enjoy. If you have an option of running a marathon, in Columbus in the cold or heading down to Las Vegas, why not? Enjoy exactly. enjoy your training these days. Yeah, right. I like it. it. Okay, and then and then how does how would you say that transfers into your life now? And I, and I'm and I wonder if um if it's a different sort of endurance to have to write and to publish at the at the level you do to be a professor, um if there is a marath if it, that's marathon training in itself. Um, I, you know, I would say if I were at a research one institution like Ohio State, um, it would be like that. I mean, yeah. the, the output that people expect out of you is, is crazy. Yeah. Um, but for me, research is not my favorite thing to do. I like to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, we have um, a very – like to get uh, promoted, it's basically – you know, you have to have a certain number of publications and then obviously have a national reputation and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a bit more subjective. But the publication thing, I mean, as long as you have eight that are peer-reviewed, then you're good. So yeah. Over the uh, course of how long? Since I got promoted in yeah, 10 years. Since the previous, so, got you. Yeah. yeah, and I got that in 2015. So I'm, you know, I'm not that far into being an associate professor, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of depends on the type of institution somebody goes to. I mean, we focus more on teaching than we do on research, Mm -hmm. but they, like I said, they do have specific um, things that we have to be able to do. So I wouldn't say it's a marathon. It's like, I mean, a lot of people get to associate professor once they get tenure and they're just like, I'm good. Yeah. And they never get, get full. But I mean, for me, I don't know. I'm always looking for the next thing to do. It doesn't sound like that's in your mindset. That's right. Yeah. I know. The, um, that's the problem. So. That's okay. Well, what's so what's your current uh, study then? Are you, you're on you're a few publication credits away? Yes. I've, I have four that need to get published. Yeah. They're, they're in various stages of writing, um, revising, resubmitting, whatever. Sure. So once those are, you know, I just have to get all four of them accepted. Um, it's just, it's, I'm not, it, for, for what we do, it doesn't matter, like, if I'm first author, second author, third author, it just, True. you know, a lot of places that does, but it doesn't for us. Um, so I am, in some cases, I'm kind of waiting on my co-authors. Sure, that happens. It's part yeah. Of, part of being part of a team, I think, in the, it's the professional yeah. metaphor for a team, that's right. Yeah. So, um, and then there's one that I, I'm the lead author on that one. So I need to do my part on that one, but the other ones, it's kind of like out of my hands right now. Sure. We'll see. Well, the one that you're the lead author on, on where, uh, where does that fall in this? I assume this is adaptive. No, it's actually well. not oddly enough. Um, I somehow got into mentoring 
And so that's oh, right. what I've been pushing on like lately. Yeah. Is this with, uh, is this with Brian or any of those guys? Um, okay. So yes, there's one that I have with Brian, um, Casey, Marty, um, and Brett. So all those people. Yes. Will, um, you, give, will you give more official shout outs to them just in case they listen to it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so Brian Culp is at Kennesaw state. Casey mm-hmm. DG Sento is at, um, Elizabeth city state university in, um, North Carolina. Britt Johnson is in at Missouri Western mm-hmm. and Marty James Hassan is at Morgan state in um, Baltimore. Perfect. So we're working on one. Um, but then the one that I'm the leader author on is actually something I'm working on with people from my university. Um, so we're trying to develop a mentoring program for our college of education. Um, so that's kind of what we're publishing, I guess we're trying to publish. So that's very cool. Um, mentorship is like, well, so I saw Brian speak, Brian, um, and professor Cutton speak, um, in referencing and they referenced your work and and got into the self-talk and mentorship and how the, the interplay between those two, I think it's really, really really interesting stuff. So I hope people will look out for that paper. I think um, the early recognition I had was no question, the language you use frames the way that you interact with the world and has a, has a very large hand in the behaviors that you put into the world. If you frame, mm-hmm. you, however you frame your situation uh, has some bearing on the outcome. Right. To be able to use self-talk and use language and framing appropriately, often you would need guidance. Right. That's that's kind of how that works. Um, yep. So that combination, the, the mentorship and self-talk and and framing behaviors that way, I think it's such a such a powerful thing. Uh, and I and I'm looking forward to reading the paper. Yeah, so, definitely. Should be good. Day. I'm sure it will be. Um, so. <laughs> I, it will be. For, I have no doubt. Um, our guy, Coach Nadal. Now, have you ever heard of the lightning round? No. Oh, I. Oh, man. That was enthusiastic. <laughs> you mind if he, uh, he's got some, some kind of like quick hitter questions for you. How do you feel about okay. this? Yes? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's get it. All right. So I have to answer really fast. That's the idea. That's the idea. We, we follow that guideline very loosely. So <laughs> don't, don't feel any sort of pressure. The lightning round. What was the first job you ever had? Before college or after? First ever. I cleaned tables at Bob Evans restaurant. So I was a busser. (laughs) Is that the crab place? No, wait. No, Bob Evans is like a family home style, like, I don't know, breakfast, lunch, dinner place. Yes. I don't know what I was thinking of the crab place. Either way. Yeah. (laughs) What was the first album you ever bought and the first concert you ever attended? Um, first album was Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Oh, fantastic. Um, and the first concert, um, sadly, I don't remember. I guess the first one I actually remember is Dave Matthews. What is your fondest fondest youth sports memory? Hmm. I, oh, okay, here we go. Um, my senior year in high school, I was actually being recruited by the college that I ended up going to to play soccer. And our like all-star game or whatever was in um, November. And it was a blizzard. Like we were literally playing this game in a blizzard. We played on a full field, of like a full soccer field. It was like all the girls in the entire state, like the all-star people. 
Um, and so many people couldn't make it that we ended up playing like five on five in a blizzard. It was, I mean, it's, it was very different. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that it was a, a fun memory, but it's like something that really sticks out in my mind. It was, um, definitely something different. hundred percent. Yeah. Where, uh, and where did you end up playing your soccer? I played, uh, at Indiana Wesleyan university in Marion, Indiana. Okay. And I played there for three years before I transferred somewhere else. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, what, would constitute a successful day for you? Checking things off of my to-do list and having it like completely done. All the boxes checked. Yeah, exactly, which that doesn't happen. And so that's why that would be successful for me. (laughs) (laughs) What is one habit you have or one piece of technology you use that you feel makes you more successful? I have another computer screen that is attached to mine and I think that because I can like multitask, so I feel like that makes me do a better job. I don't know why. It's just it's like the screen I have here is like huge. It's like double the size of my laptop. Um, so for whatever reason, I feel like that is super helpful to me. What is the biggest challenge that you have faced, and how did you overcome it? Hmm. Biggest challenge. I think. Going into college, I was not necessarily ready, um, like maturity-wise. I didn't do very well my first year in college. I ended up losing my academic scholarship. So that that was a tough time. Um, but then I transferred out and went to West Virginia University. Um, and I started doing really well in my classes. And I realized that, hey, you know what? You are smart. I mean... Initially, I wanted to go to school to be um, a physical therapist, and then I was like, I don't think I'm smart enough to do that, Um, because I knew that you had to go to graduate school, and I didn't think I was smart enough. Um, So I don't know why I had that in my head. I mean, my parents were always supportive. It was just me, I think, like mental block or whatever. But um, once I started doing really well and um, putting my mind to things, I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? I can do this. I got all A's at WVU. for the rest of my undergrad and then I was like well you know what I'm gonna try and get my master's degree so I got all A's there I was like okay well you know what I'm doing this so I was like let me try for my doctorate um and I went to Ohio State for that and I got I think I got one B the entire time in the four years that I was there Wow. so yeah so I mean clearly it was more just trial and error, I guess. And once I saw that I could do it, then I was like, okay, let's do it. So I like school. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We could tell. I mean, (laughs) um, as a leader in this field, what advice would you give to a future leader that hopes to embark on a similar journey? I would say, um, make connections with people in the field. Um, and not just people at your, like in your um, institution or in your state even, I think it's important. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today had I not made connections with people across the country. Um, But I also think that one of the other things that has really been helpful to me is maintaining a good working relationship with my advisor from graduate school. Um, Because he, honestly, I mean, he... I still do work with him. I'm I'm going to Columbia with him um, in April to do a workshop down there. Wow. 
So, yeah, I mean, he still involves me in a lot of things. And so, you know, just having that great working relationship is, um, to me, probably one of the most beneficial things. So, you know, just creating relationships, don't get stuck in your, don't get stuck in a bubble or, you know, in your own world, like branch out and talk to people. I think that's really important. You passed. Great job. <laughs> End of the lightning round. Another A. <laughs> um, excellent. I, I think that was, uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that's such an interesting idea for people to hear. Um, like the, the, I'm, I don't know if I'm smart thing is such an interesting <laughs> idea because, uh, the way that we currently have the system set up, um, we, like we get this really interesting sort of feedback that is completely dependent on, on how well you check boxes, right? Are you turning right. your homework in on time and yep. all this kind of stuff? Um, and if for whatever reason you have, you don't master that system early, talk about like something that influences self-talk and perception and stuff like that. If you feel like I'm a, if you're, if you're a D student early on, um, for whatever reason, I'm not saying that you were necessarily, but like, what an incredible impact that would have on you. So I, I think it's really inspiring to hear that you uh, you just kind of kept with it, kept plugging along, um, and eventually that feedback started to change. You started to master the environment, and now here you are. Um, you didn't get swayed by it. I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Do you know the name Todd Rose? He's the director of the Mind Brain Education Program at Harvard. And okay. he, um, he's an absolutely fantastic guy. Um, he'll be coming on the podcast so you can hear his full story. But I think before that, if you want to uh, read his book, we're going to send it to you. Oh, cool. He, Thank it, you. It, it just started the same way. It, mm -hmm. uh, essentially, it's like um, I, I, I'm this energetic kid, um, whatever, a host of circumstances are going on in his life in school. He just wasn't getting – he wasn't excelling in school necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, found his niche eventually. Uh, down, mm -hmm. Eventually got into Harvard. Uh, eventually aced Harvard for lack of a better term and now he's teaching there he's just like uh, it's an incredible sort of success story and and his his pathway um, has really influenced the way that he now interacts with the world so he's doing a lot of things that sort of question education I think there's some really cool lingering questions out there about like how we standardize things like um, you know there's a great appropriate reading level if someone but that's based on an average and mm -hmm. which means immediately that half of the group is going to find it fairly easy and half of the group for half of the group it's designed against them you know right. if you're on the bottom end of the bell curve and this this thing that's been designed for average uh you risk being left behind um so mm -hmm. he's he's approaching that in a very thoughtful way and i think his aim is like I'm really happy, and I'm sure you are, that your story panned out, but you can certainly imagine the, the counter-narrative, which is, you know, a lot of people find that, rec think that school is not for them, or they self-doubt their own intelligence and, and go down pathways that are not ideal. Sure. So, yeah. Someone to, someone to introduce you to, for sure. Okay. Thank you. Anyway, for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time and for being on. I know you are swamped over there, and you're publishing things, and you're changing lives, but... Um, I, uh, the reason that I, that we were so excited to have you, um, first of all, I just I was so I, I really enjoyed my experience uh, meeting you, meeting all the good people down in Savannah. Uh, I thought it was like there's some really necessary conversations happening. It's a growing and important organization, and I'm I'm really happy to be on the the front end of my um, association with it. I, I I really did enjoy it, and and uh, I I 
yeah, I think what you bring to the table is an interesting thing, and that's why we're happy to share it with people. I think one of the big tenets of what we do is is this balance of tough and kind. So uh, in your case, potentially, it's it's this willingness to, to work, to have a goal in mind, to really grind it out and strive for that, but mm-hmm. bring other people along, recognize the community, be good to those around you. Um, that balance is one that we all ought to strive for, and you certainly have it. Thank you. I try. I mean, it's. I feel like it's just important to have an open mind and to be willing to try new things. Yeah. Because yeah. um, you know, otherwise, I don't know. Having you know, it's just these experiences are are things that I can talk about, or you know, just something to remember. I don't know. Either way, it's it's still is good. I mean, I I love to do. I don't know. I'm just very excited to to do new things. So I think yeah. that's. I don't know. That's. What's I- next? You know, <laughs> that's, that's it. That well, that propulsion so often, if you're a good person, you're thinking through things. That's that's the point. We, we've said many times on the podcast and in the world, chase the work you're willing to do is the best advice I ever I ever got. So if if there's this fire in you and you want to take the next step and go explore new things and meet new people and all that stuff, I think that's probably what you ought to do, because things will one of the absolute truths of life and and professionalism and all that stuff is it's not always going to be easy it's going to get tough and it's a lot it's a lot better and healthier and more fun to go through the tough times if it's a field and a subject that you enjoy with mm-hmm. people who support you and you enjoy being around so absolutely go for absolutely. it absolutely awesome well i hope this is uh one of many conversations to come yeah. um and we will talk more soon definitely yep yeah. For sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen. And feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.